Welcome back to Mintz Levens from the Edge. I am Jeremy Glazer, the co-chair of the Mintz Levin Venture Capital and Emerging Company Practice. Mintz Levin is a nationally leading law firm focused on helping emerging growth companies achieve success. Check us out at mintzedge.com. Well, I am really pleased to welcome John Sarkeesian today. Thank you, John, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. John is a serial entrepreneur who has built and sold several companies, including regional fast casual restaurant company Patton Oscars, which was sold to a public company, and Skills, a sports training enterprise that was sold to private equity. John is now a partner in Motion Ventures and owns Acontro, a restaurant in North Park here in San Diego, as well as the industry chairman of the San Diego Sports Innovators, and Vice Chairman of the YMCA of San Diego County. Wow, you are a busy person. Those are a lot of things. <laughs> On today's podcast, John will discuss how he built and funded companies in a broad variety of industries and the lessons learned along the way. So John, um, wow, just an incredible background, really varied uh, in the number of industries. But when you started, you obviously made choices. Why did you choose to become an entrepreneur? Well, Jeremy, I'm not sure I chose to become an entrepreneur as much as it chose me. So I tell the story that when I was graduating from the University of Michigan and my fraternity brothers, et cetera, were interviewing with big uh, Fortune 500 companies, I just didn't feel that was something I wanted to do. Initially, I thought I was going to go to law school, uh, happened to come out west for a uh, Rose Bowl and thought, you know what, maybe I should go to graduate school out in, uh, on the West Coast. And I ended up here in San Diego, still not knowing what I wanted to do. In fact, I tell people when I came out here, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. And today I still don't know how to spell it. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think part of it is in my heritage. Both my um, grandfathers immigrated to this country. Both of them opened small uh, shoe repair shops. So uh, I think there's something in my DNA. So, but you've done this in a lot of different businesses. You've been in the tech space, the sports space, the restaurant space, the real estate sector, very different industries. Why did you pick each of these industries? And um, was it challenging to be an entrepreneur in such diverse businesses? Uh, it is challenging, but I think that's what entrepreneurs like is to be challenged. And um, I wish I could say I had a grand plan, but I think uh, opportunities came to me. And when I saw the opportunity, uh, I entered into that field. And so when my parents and sister opened a restaurant and I got a call uh, asking for some help, um, I learned the restaurant business. Uh, when I got a call about a sports product and that time um, I had four kids all in various sports and I uh, invested in that product and eventually uh, bought out that company and, and developed skills. It was because I had a passion around sports and I figured out the sporting goods industry if you want. So you, you started the first entrepreneurial enterprise for you was the restaurant business, Pat Oscars, or was something even before that? Uh, before that I became a, I was a real estate broker and then after doing that for about six years, I, I really felt the uh, desire to, to do the deals. Instead of just brokering them, I, I felt a desire to become a real estate developer. And with a partner, I went out and did that for about five years. Okay. And that's very entrepreneurial because you were, I assume, raising money from, from other individuals to do these developments? Yeah, absolutely. So it's entrepreneurial because you find a piece of dirt, you design a building, and you have to get it financed, built, and... Uh, so uh, that's uh, my first real entrepreneurial uh, start. 
was in real estate. So, so this is great. So you, you've raised money in so many different industries, and I, and I can't imagine that they weren't all very different. So raising money for a real estate company versus raising money for a restaurant versus raising money for skills in the sport, in the sports space. And then you raise money for a tech company as well, a company called Semtech that we, that we worked uh, on together. How different was it raising money in each of these different industries and what approach, how, how was the approach different? I don't know if it's that different, Jeremy. I think it's really about having a real point of view, right, and telling a story. And when I say story, I don't mean something that's fictional. I mean about painting a picture for an investor on the opportunity. And I used to talk about real estate. We used to build models, right? We, we, we had to build a model of the building we were going to have. That was because it, it helped people understand the story. So each time you go out and raise money for these businesses, you have to paint a real clear picture of the opportunity and how we're going to take advantage of those opportunities. And that applied across all different businesses, all different industries. Absolutely. Now, what about the nature of the investors? How, were they different? The, the folks you went to to raise money for a real estate versus a restaurant versus skills versus the tech business you were involved with? Were they, was it a different mix? Was it a different approach? Well, then investors were different because I've done private equity. I've done, um, or when I say done, I've had investors who were uh, high worth, uh, uh, high net worth individuals, uh, private equity, public company. So they all have their own um, nature in terms of what they're looking for and how they invest. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's pretty consistent in terms of telling that story and those clear economics to each one of them and understanding that, for instance, in a real estate deal, you're painting a picture of, okay, we're going to invest today, we're going to build this building, and then we're ultimately going to sell it. Um, in some of these other businesses, it's really to, to fund continued growth with the idea that at some point we may exit, but we don't have a clear exit strategy at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Again, there's obviously a, a process here where you went to different companies and raised money, built these companies, took them to some successful exits. When you were kind of looking to do a sale, did, was there a planning process? How did you go about getting ready these, these companies for sale? Uh, very interesting question because I say I've never took a company out for sale, honestly. One of the things I've always focused on was really building a company with the long term in in mind. In other words, we're going to continue to build it and with quality people, quality products, with a ter long term focus, with the idea that at some point that's going to pay off for us. And in the sales that I've had, it's really we were going out to raise additional capital when somebody came along and gave us a. a a price that we said, oh, I think we have to sell this company at this time. Yeah, that's not an unusual story. Companies are going out, raising money, trying to just continue to build their business, and that attracts the attention of potential buyers. Correct. Yeah. So, Pat and Oscars, is that, is that what happened there on that sale? Oh, exactly. I mean, I remember getting the call from the public company, and, and I said, well, we're not selling, but here's the number of our banker. You can talk to them. And, you know, next thing you know, a couple months later, we were closing a, a deal for the sale of the company. Well, I got to tell you that if it weren't for those incredible breadsticks, my children probably would have starved to death growing up. <laughs> yeah, we talked about building the restaurant business on a breadstick. <laughs> yes. they, were, they were certainly special. You know, I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons along the way. I always like to ask, having now raised money for so many different businesses and having successfully sold these companies, if you could go back and talk to young John Sarkeesian when he was leaving 
you know, University of Michigan, which probably I got to do a quick, you know, go blue with a great win in the NCAA's <laughs> That's right. over this weekend. Incredible. Your son's still there? He's still there. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's, he's a junior. and mm-hmm. He loves it. He loves it. Great. If you could go back and talk to yourself starting out, what would, what would you want to tell yourself today that you know now that you didn't know then starting these businesses? Well, in terms of, of raising capital and, and or selling the businesses, I'd say it's, it's really understanding more what the investor really is looking for and, and uh, being aligned with them. So even though we sold the businesses, um, we normally kept major, uh, minority interests in the businesses because we always believed in them and and sometimes that hasn't quite worked out with the uh, the investor hmm so multiple sales processes i'm sure you have a lot of really interesting stories i'm sure you know one of them i'm sure a lot of interesting (laughs) things happen and you could talk about that one you could talk about others but i think it would be really interesting to hear if you don't mind sharing some stories of different sales things that happened that you thought were interesting and, and learning experiences yeah, I think the the most interesting one is the one that I remember you were involved with, and uh, you were our uh, attorney for Semtech. And yes. If you recall, we had three investors in that company, and one of the investors had a uh, strategic position in the company whereby they had an exclusive distribution agreement yes. for our product, and that created multiple areas of really conflict that um, ultimately... I don't think maximize the value for the overall shareholders. I think that's actually, by the way, a really important story there. And I'll tell you that um, I had kind of, kind of experienced this both as an attorney, but I also experienced it as a principal. If you remember, I jumped out of the practice for a short time during the dot-com era and was involved with the company. And we also had a strategic relationship that created a lot of the similar kinds of conflicts and kind of misincentives. So I agree that that experience, I continue to, to use that and talking to clients today as an example where everybody comes and says, oh, isn't it great to have strategic investors because they're so much less value sensitive uh, you know, versus venture capitalists? And I always like to kind of use that example without using names uh, to kind of raise the flag of, well, you gotta be really careful in structuring those transactions because you can have an incredible misalignment of incentives. Yeah, and that's what happened in that case. Now, did you ever experience that in any of the other businesses with the, with the investors? Um, not really. I think that was a, a, a unique experience. Um, what I have experienced is when somebody comes into your business that you've spent, boy, um, in both times, over 10 years building, and they don't really understand the culture, right? And, you know, I know culture is that soft and fuzzy word that people talk about. But ultimately, it's what you do and how you do it and who you do it with in terms of your people that make businesses successful. And I've seen it in multiple experiences where people don't quite understand that and where the real value is in the uh, entity they're purchasing. And um, when they miss that, things uh, sometimes go wrong. Mm. So you raise money from high net worth individuals. You've raised money from venture capitalists. You've raised money from strategic investors. You've raised money from private equity. How different was it dealing with a private equity firm as compared to a venture capital firm or high net worth individuals in operating the business? Uh, I think private equity believes they can run the business. (laughs) Whether they think they can run it better or not, I'm not sure. But I think they believe they can run the business and um, 
they may be a little smarter than the entrepreneur. That's just my experience. And I know there's a lot of great private equity people out there who, who, do, who have done really well with companies that they've invested in. I just personally haven't had that experience. Hmm. So you found that private equity investors were a little more, maybe say nicely hands-on or maybe a little more butting their nose into the business uh, versus a venture capitalist, for example? Um, I don't know. That's difficult to say. I think every un- situation is unique. Uh, that's just been my uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So high net worth individuals, when you, when you reached out to them to raise money for your businesses, how did you go about identifying them? Uh, that's usually through relationships, right? That, that comes through um, uh, knowing people. Uh, a lot of times it's come through um, either an accountant, uh, a lawyer, uh, someone, a wealth management person who has a relationship with, uh, or obviously manages the, uh, the high net worth uh, individual's uh, resources. Sure. And uh, then it's uh, really about building relationship with that person, right? And I found them to be really uh, good to work with. High net worth individuals uh, usually have come through probably some entrepreneurial background. They've built a business, they've sold a business, and they understand what you're going through. Did, did you ever have success with some of these what I call angel networks? Did you ever go to like an organized group to raise money as opposed to one-on-one relationships? No, I never used those. Okay. How about a fundraiser, anyone who you would try to pay to raise money for you to go out to individuals and bring them in? Have used the investment bankers um, and usually small investment banks to help us uh, raise capital. And in those cases, a couple times they've, they've uh, resulted in sales. Okay. So when you were using investment bankers, I assume that was for later stage businesses as opposed to like when you're just starting out the company? That's correct. Okay. So they would be sort of, if you were talking today, series A or series B, Okay. right? You, you've established the business, you've got momentum, uh, and now you're looking to fuel uh, the company mm-hmm. uh, because you've got your uh, systems in place and, and now you believe you can accelerate the growth of the company. Okay. So, so in your experience, were bankers successful in identifying like venture capitalists or the private equity firms, both? Yeah, all. I think they have a, a, a network of all those people and they try to match you up with the right investor at the right time. And, you know, one of the things I talk about is it's, it's sort of like a marriage, right? It's, it just happens to be when the investor's out looking for your type of deal and you're out looking for an investor when those things come together. Mm-hmm. I tell uh, entrepreneurs all the time, I see the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is not qualifying the person they're talking to in terms of um, an investor, right? Do due diligence on your investor just like they're doing due diligence on you. Not only due diligence, but qualifying them as, are you prepared to invest? Are you in a position to invest, right? Most investors are invested. And and it's only when they have a liquidity event um, or they've raised a new fund that they're actually um, out investing. So... So you've now switched to the other side, right? So you were running all these companies, starting companies, being an entrepreneur, and now you have a fund, Motion Ventures. So you're looking to be an investor. Correct. What are you looking for? What types of companies and what are you interested in investing in? 
great question. And um, let me tell you, we've spent almost a year going through a process to really understand what we were going to do in terms of how we we're going to invest. So first of all, we're investing in the sports and active lifestyle, healthy living. Um, so anything, I, I talk about people today having to live their, their life as an athlete. Eat well, recover well, uh, move, all those things. And so uh, that's the space that we're interested in. Uh, maybe with a little focus on technology in terms of uh, augmented reality, some of the esports even start getting interesting to us. What we've discovered and decided on actually very recently is that we probably weren't going to be the traditional fund. In fact, we don't even like the word fund. We're going to be a group of entrepreneurs who are now investors who are going to invest in a handful of deals each year and we're going to be hands-on with the entrepreneur. We're not going to take majority interest in companies, could happen, but we're really going to be there to um, assist the entrepreneur during that first year to two years um, when you're making a lot of decisions that are uh, very important at the early stages of your company. And that feels right for, for uh, us, my partners and I, in terms of our experience. We're not investment bankers. We don't look at things from just a financial uh, standpoint. Well, here in San Diego, at least, I know there's a real need for that really early stage, you know, advice, mentoring, and, and money at that, at that level. Are you finding that there's kind of not a lot of folks out there competing with you with these early stage companies, or, or is it a fairly competitive market to find these opportunities? There's not a lot of uh, competition out there in, in our area. And, you know, you talk about tech and some of the other areas where people are uh, actively investing. I think there's a little misunderstanding in terms of our sports and active lifestyle, right? Uh, I think people think of it as a t-shirt company or a wetsuit company and um, not a lot of scale. But when you look at these early stage technologies that are focused in this area and then think about what I said, that everybody has to live their life as an athlete, then you can see that there's larger uh, opportunities. So you're very active, and I assume that's why you got active in this. You're an active biker, is that right? I'm a cyclist, yes. And, and how did you get into that? I've always loved cycling, and in 08, I was challenged to do the Challenge Athletes Foundation ride from San Francisco to San Diego, which I did five years in a row. I'm returning again this year. And it got me active in cycling, and then I actually sponsored a, a professional team, uh, Skills Did, and uh, now I'm uh, passionate about the sport. I, I trained 100 miles yesterday. I'm getting ready for the Belgian waffle ride, which is 140 miles and 14,000 feet of climbing. And 40 miles of that is going to be in dirt. So um, well, I'm I think well, I think the Belgian waffle side maybe I can do. I'm not sure about the riding <laughs> yeah. side. Do waffles in the morning, <laughs> beer after the ride. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, well, John, just really thank you so much for taking the time and sharing some of these great experiences you've had. Really exciting what you're doing with Motion Ventures. And uh, I look forward to seeing some of the fascinating technologies and sports-related companies you're going to be investing in and, and help grow, both here in San Diego and I assume across the country. Correct. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Thank you to our guest, John Sarkeesian. I am Jeremy Glazer of Mince 11, and thank you for listening to this edition of From the Edge.